Good morning, everyone. This morning, before we read our 23rd Psalm, I have something a little bit different for you. So we'll, um, how many of you have heard of the, mint got caught in my teeth. How many of you have heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible? A couple of you. All right. Well, we have one that we read for our daughter. And um, if you've ever just sat down and read it yourself as an adult, it, um, it changes things. It, it's not that it makes it more relatable, maybe makes it slightly more understandable. Uh, but the verbiage that is used throughout the Jesus Storybook Bible is just so calming. And so this morning, before we read the 23rd Psalm together, I want to read you Found, which is the Jesus Storybook Bible, Psalm 23. And this is what I read to Bailey. And it reads, God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me. He guides me. He looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside, my heart is very quiet. As quiet as lying still in a soft green grass meadow by a little stream. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me. Everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness, I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. Just kind of hits you in the heartstrings. Turn your attention to the screen and let's read the 23rd Psalm, New King James, together. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can come into your house, raise up hands, and worship you. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity that we have to gather together and think on your word. Father, I praise you for this word that you've laid on my heart for these people today. Lord, I know that not one of us is here by coincidence. That's not in your language. But we are here today, Lord God, by divine appointment for one purpose, and that is to give you glory. So, Father, now in the name of Jesus, steady our hearts and steady our minds. 
Anoint the ears and the hearts of your children now in the name of Jesus to receive and touch my own lips, Lord God, with a refining coal that I would speak only the words that you give me and none of my own. I give you praise, honor, and glory in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So we are going to finish up the Fruit of the Spirit series today by looking at self-control. Okay, so uh, let your Bible fall open to Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 22 and read through verse 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. So, Pastor Bob set me up well last week for this message on self-control because he made mention that when you're preparing for a sermon and the Lord speaks, he speaks to you first, right? So I've known that I was going to give this message for um, over a week. And let me tell you about the trials in self-control. Okay? Um, if you remember early on in this series, Bob was the one that preached on patience because I had a bad experience <laughs> preaching on patience. I said, I'm good. I don't want to preach on patience. You got that, brother. And he took it on the chin like a champ. But I went ahead and I took self-control. And so we're going to look at some different things. We're going to look first at a dictionary definition of self-control. Dictionary.com says that self-control is restraint of oneself, restraint of one's actions, feelings, emotions. Okay? But there's, there's something that I'm going to point out today, and that's there's two views of self-control, okay? This dictionary definition gives us a good idea of the worldview of self-control. We are going to look more so at a spiritual view or a biblical view of self-control because we as Christians are called to be set apart, Right? We're called to be different, right? And that means that if the world defines self-control this way, I can accept it, but I should probably have a better definition in mind because I have to be set apart and I have to be just a little different. So here's the fun part of the message. What actual self-control is not. Actual self-control is not dieting although that takes good discipline. Self-control is not pretending you're not mad. Although, Tim, good lead up. We pretend sometimes, especially on Sunday morning, that we're not mad. Self-control is not not buying those shoes, even though they're really cute, right? Self-control is not even staying quiet, okay? Staying quiet is a good discipline, but it's not what I'm going to tell you today is self-control. Self-control is going to take on something a little bit deeper, okay, and we're going to get to that. 
So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. We'll read through 13. It says, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit. It makes me chuckle too. The blame game, Genesis 3. She gave me that fruit and I ate it. The Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, It was a serpent. He deceived me. And I ate it. This is where self-control fell. It's where everything fell. God had this beautiful plan. And you've probably heard me say it before. Here was the plan. Here's how he fixed it. Right? The enemy of self-control is temptation. The enemy of a lot of things is temptation. But you see on your handout, real big, real bold, but Jesus made the way. If you remember three weeks ago, um, when I talked about kindness and goodness, I made this statement, God expects nothing from us that he hasn't already made possible, right? So if God expects something from us, it's because he knows you're capable through him of accomplishing it, all right? So Jesus made the way. I made this nice little time lapse of photos for you from birth to teaching to healing to death on a cross Jesus made the way for self-control turn to the gospel of Matthew with me in the gospel of Matthew we're going to look at a little bit closer at a battle between temptation and self-control beginning in verse 1 then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, 
The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So this shows the battle, I call it, between temptation, the tempter, and self-control. Jesus, the one who is the provider of this self-control that we're going to look at. Okay? So usually, about this point in the message, I give you guys a Hebrew lesson. But today we're going to have an English lesson. Because for the next chunk of our message, all of these words are going to grow really important. So we have first-person singular pronouns. I, me, my, mine, and myself. And they work in different ways. I'm not going to get into every bit of detail, but just so that you can see the chart of the subject pronoun, the object pronoun, possessive, possessive, and reflexive. That way you just have an idea of anything that refers to me is going to be that first-person singular pronoun, okay? Um, what we want to look at, we're going to turn to Romans here in just a minute. But we want to look at this word, and I want you just to kind of ingrain all of these words in your mind for a moment. Because just like temptation is the enemy of self-control, so are all of these words, Okay? I'll give it away. Self-control isn't about oneself at all. When you flip your hand out over, you'll see the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay? So we have that me pronoun, but the word that describes me is wretch, wretched, terrible. An awful man, a broken man, a wounded man. When you consider what those words actually mean, and to consider that God's amazing grace actually pulled you from the depth of darkness and saved you from what you once were or what you could have been, it's worthy of a hallelujah shout. Go to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to look at what I call wretched man syndrome. There's a lot of syndromes in the world, right? But today we're going to look at wretched man syndrome. And a medical doctor will never diagnose you with it. It's a self-diagnosed problem, maybe. Or um, a prayerfully diagnosed problem. So let's read verses 18 through 25. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, 
This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who did it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Okay, 18 to 25, we just read seven verses of scripture and we read a first person singular pronoun 30 times 30 times in fact as you're reading it aloud it's actually almost a little bit difficult to say it all over and over it's so repetitious I me my myself mine mine me my I and you start to second guess yourself and it you, maybe you noticed that I was holding my finger against the line in my Bible so that I didn't reread the line because it's so repetitious and it's so cumbersome to the mind to comprehend this self-absorbed issue. But did you notice that the names of God in those verses were only used four times? Ouch. 30 me for God. Well, that settles the score on that one. If you're living in wretched man syndrome, the scoreboard's lit up on your side. Right? 30 points for me, four for God. And God says, something has to change, right? So what's the cure for wretched man syndrome. Well, we're going to find out as we read chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's the practice of self-control. Let's read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it has weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to 
the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That one burns. Let me read it again. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Names of God include Jesus, Christ Jesus, God, Spirit. Names of God are really, really vast. In this set of 11 verses, names of God are used 22 times. And first-person singular pronouns, zero. Zero. So there's a change in the mindset here. We go from this I, me, my, it's my issue, what am I going to do, to oh, I'm going to lay it all down. I'm going to hand it over. Jesus paid the price. And I don't have to carry this. I don't have to carry along all of the burden and all the baggage and all the weight that comes with this life. Because I'm different. I'm called to be set apart. And so I shift my mindset. And I light up Jesus' side of the scoreboard. And mine fades away. Right? So Paul, Paul writes this out of a struggle. He's struggling in chapter 7, wrestling with sin. And he becomes self-focused. And it's easy when we look at worldly self-control to be self-focused. We think about the word itself self-control I don't know about you guys I don't want to be in control of me I want God to be in control of me right there's too much going on I gotta have somebody to blame like Adam did right <laughs> this woman you gave me <laughs> she gave me the fruit 
I don't want to be responsible. Why? Did you ever notice that when you, when you try to be responsible for you, that you get overwhelmed? That you get weary? That you get tired? That you get short? That you get snippy? And then other people around you go, mm, what's the matter with you? Sorry, I'm just going through a lot right now. Just leave me be. Right? But, but nail it all to the cross. Lay it down at the foot. Give it to God. And your attitude will change. Because suddenly, it's not me that matters anymore. It's my king that matters. Worthy of all of my worship. Worthy of all of my praise. But worship and praise doesn't come out of self-control. It takes discipline on Sunday morning to get out of bed and get dressed and get in the car and get to church. It takes discipline. But when you get to church, it takes humility to bow before a king, not self-control. So we want to redefine self-control. And you'll notice that this is all but one word identical to the dictionary definition. So the dictionary definition says, I have to restrain myself to be self-controlled. When my definition looks a little bit more like this. I surrender myself. When I surrender myself, I come into agreement with the Spirit. And I have the truest self-control by the Spirit of God living in me. Not by my power, not by my authority, not by my intelligence. My intelligence is garbage compared to the wisdom of God. My power is garbage in comparison to God's power. My authority is garbage in comparison to God's authority. Ruler and creator of all of the universe says, just hand it over. You don't have to live like this. Stop calling on yourself and call on me. Just give it over. And, and, and we walk around with these big old backpacks strapped on our shoulders. Oh, and they're heavy. And what happens? If you, if you run with that same analogy, your heart rate goes up. You get short of breath. You start not feeling good. Everything hurts. You wake up the next day with sore muscles. The same thing happens in your spirit, right? Your spirit man, his heart rate goes up. Your spirit man gets short of breath. Your spirit man wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, my shoulder. 
Why? Because you put too much on its plate. When you could have just said, thank you, Lord. And there it is. So we started this message in Galatians 5.25, and we're going to end there too. But we're going to end in a different translation. So I'm going to read Galatians 5.25 from the NIV for you just to jog your memory. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But in the complete Jewish Bible, in the complete Jewish study Bible, it says this. Since it is through the Spirit that we have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. It takes a little bit of pressure off of us. It doesn't sound like we're trying to walk at the same pace God's walking. But it sounds more like we're coming before the throne of God every day and saying, okay, God, what do you have on the radar today? Am I going to cross paths with somebody in the grocery store? Am I going to meet somebody on the street? Am I going to get a phone call? Somebody had the wrong number. What do you have in store? How are you going to order my life today? This changes the outlook so that it's not me sitting down and making my schedule. It's me sitting down for a quiet moment to say, okay, God, what's the schedule? What's the plan? I'll tell you this. I trust his plan faster than I'd ever trust my own. Right? Go ahead. Worship him. Praise him. I'll trust his plan before I'll ever trust my own. Because my plans get me in trouble. My plans put me in that wretched man syndrome. The day that I received Jesus, everything changed. And God said, now you don't have to live like that. I've made the way. From birth to teaching, to healing, to death on a cross, to victory. An empty tomb. To present day, waiting on a horn to sound. For clouds to part. For the Lord to step out and say, come on kids, I'm ready for you. Floors are swept, supper's on, get up here. Right? Jesus made the way. And that's what self-control should look like for us. Not this world vision of, I got to live my life by the book. I got to live my life to the schedule. I got to live everything down to the T. Make sure it's all planned. I got to live my life by this book. I got to live my life according to the Spirit. I got to sit down in the mornings and say, all right, Lord, I got my coffee and I got you. Show me what we're going to do. Let me tell you, 
knowing this, having, having the Lord pour this into your spirit. Two weeks coming into this message, you realize your shortcomings. So when that person was in front of me going five under and I just wanted to scream out the window, I said, no, it's going to be okay. I'm not in control. When the dog threw up in my truck yesterday, I wanted to scream, but I didn't. I said, it's okay, buddy. And I cleaned it up. It's all these little things that amount to nothing. Right? In the grand scheme of it all, all of these little things that look like they take self-control, they amount to nothing because they belong at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to invite you this morning to choose that surrender. And if you want us to pray with you, come up and we'll pray with you. It's not easy to choose surrender. I will, I will stamp that on this message right at the top in bright red. It is not easy to choose surrender because surrender means surrender. It doesn't mean a little bit. It means all of it. And it's not easy. But if you want prayer this morning, as our worship team comes and, and closes our service, I'll gladly invite you to come up and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for all that you do for us. I thank you, Lord God, that you can provide us, Lord, with instruction for daily living. Lord, as, as we look at all of the fruits of your Holy Spirit, we know, Lord, that there's so much fruit that we can live by. We know, Lord God, that there's so much fruit that we can produce if we only come and surrender. Lord, I know that love <coughs> is at the top of that list. And I know that joy is at the top of that list. In every translation of your word, Lord, I believe that you've ordered these according to your plan and your purpose for a reason, for us to learn. But Father, as we come to the bottom of the list and we find a need to surrender, Lord, just like a fruit tree, prune us that we would bear more fruit in the coming seasons, that we would feed more people with our fruit in the coming seasons, that we would amplify and magnify your purposes with our fruit in coming seasons. Father, adjust each and every one of our minds that we would no longer look to ourselves for self-control, but Lord, that we would look at you and say, Lord, I'm ready to live in a way of spiritual control under your headship, under your authority, under your majesty. Lord, bless us and keep us as we go throughout this week. Keep us safe until we meet again or until your return. In the name of Jesus, all God's children said, Amen. Amen.